Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson. So today's episode is going to be the first Purge Part 2. But before we get into that, got a few announcements. Uh, yesterday's show, uh, you probably noticed, but yesterday's show did not go as smoothly as I would have liked. Uh, maybe about three minutes, four minutes into the show, my notes went down and I couldn't get them back up. So yesterday's show I had to do off the top of my head uh, for the most part. And then toward the end, uh, I did get them to pop up, but I had already gone through some of the stuff. So today I'm going to um, close some of the gaps that I left in yesterday's show, some of the stuff that I uh, didn't mention because my notes weren't on the screen. Um, before we get to that, though, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and Twitter. Still need more Twitter followers. Um, if you listen on YouTube, make sure you subscribe there as well. Uh, that's going to bring me to the Black Hebrew Awakening. So if you're subscribed on Twitter and you're subscribed on YouTube, on the 15th of November when the uh, book comes out, I'm going to post the 5% discount codes on Twitter and YouTube. For those of you who are patrons, you will get a 10% uh, discount code if you're a Red Pill patron. It's only a buck uh, to become a Red Pill patron. You also get some free downloads and other stuff. And if you're an all-access uh, patron, you'll get a 20% discount code. So until then, make sure you go vote on the cover. That's on the BHITB website. Uh, vote on which of the three covers you like the most. And check out the table of contents. If you want to find those two places to vote, go type in the Black Hebrew Awakening in any of the search bars, and it will pull it up for you. Uh, last announcement. Uh, Ultimate Bible Study Notebooks, those are coming. They will be released right before um, the Black Hebrew Awakening. I believe I'm releasing those on the 10th of November. They will be 100-page notebooks uh, specifically made for taking notes from the Bible. They'll have, um, in the back, it'll have biblical weights and measures. It'll have a list of all the books in the Bible. There will be multiple covers, so when you fill one up, if you want to buy another one, um, you can buy another notebook. They'll all have the same, you know, stuff in the back. So to help you with your studies and stuff, there will be more goodies in the back of the notebook for you, but those are specifically made for Bible study. So be on the lookout for those. I believe there are three designs right now currently and possibly a few more uh, coming down the line. And also the last thing, they will be available in two different sizes. Um, the travel size, which is 5.5 by 8.5, and, and then there will be the full size, which is an 8.5 by 11-inch notebook. So, yeah, be on the uh, lookout for those. All right, so Purge Day. Let's get back into the Purge. Yesterday I basically covered the Book of Esther, um, all 12 chapters, in a 30-minute period. So now I'm going to go back and fill in some of the blanks that I did miss yesterday and then kind of talk about some more, um, put everything more in context with today's time. All right, so these the king had written the law. We're going to start from there. The king had written the law that everybody gets to go, you know, kill the Jews. And then Esther made her request, and the Jews got to kill anybody that wanted to kill them. This comes from Esther chapter 8, verse 17. It says, and in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. All right, so this is something that I wanted to touch on here. It says that many of the people became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And this is talking about the religion. They didn't suddenly turn into the uh, line of Israel. 
But if you are following camp doctrine that says that the law and salvation is only for Israel, there's a problem here because the book of Esther did not say they wanted to become Jews or they attempted to become Jews. They became Jews. And if you understand what's going on in this purge thing, they stood and fought with the Jews. And yesterday, as I mentioned, this Persian kingdom stretched from India all the way to Ethiopia. So you have people from India all the way to Ethiopia converting to Judaism because they were in fear of the Jews. Now, this is going to go back to when we hear about the, the police shootings and everything else. I've talked about this before. They say they were in fear of their life. This is a justification. Uh, when George Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin, he said he was in fear of his life. The reason that they are in fear is because we are physically intimidating to them. Just look at football. Look at basketball. Our people are bigger, stronger, and faster. But it also has the biblical connection um, from Deuteronomy 2.25. This is after they came out of uh, Egypt, and they, were, they hadn't yet taken uh, – well, they had taken the promised land. They had taken parts of it. They hadn't taken, fully taken the promised land. I'll put it that way. Um, it says, this day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. So this is going to be a constant theme throughout history, this fear, the fear of the black presence. When you, when you walk into a room and there's a room full of non-black people, it can be any race, when they're not black, and you see another black person in the room, that person stands out to you. If you see several black person in the room, it gets to be a point where you, you start to think, well, there's a lot of black people in here. That's the presence. And if you think, when you think that there's a lot of black people in the room, imagine how they feel when there's a group of black people in the room. So this is a biblical thing, and we see the fear in, um, in the book of Esther. Now, the Jews did not outnumber these people in the book of Esther. They outnumbered the Jews. So even with them outnumbering them, they were still afraid and converted. So we see this right here. We tend to fear them only because of their weapons. If they did not have their weapons, uh, our people fear a badge. They don't fear white people or Asians or Mexicans. That's not a fear we have. They shoot people and get away with it, and that's the fear that we have towards them. They fear us in our natural state. So uh, there's a difference. So understand when, when I say black people don't fear white people, we do not fear white people. We fear the consequences that come along with white people, and there's a, there's a difference there. Um, so in Esther 9-2, uh, we, we see the resistance. We see um, – they had gotten permission to fight back, and we see this here. It says, the Jews gathered themselves together in the city throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man, no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. You ever heard of people being frozen with fear? So these people were all hyped up that they get to kill Jews, and they came to kill Jews, and the Jews were physically intimidating, these Hebrews. They were physically intimidating. And not only that, remember, people from all the 127 provinces had converted to Judaism. So now these people that wanted to kill the Jews were likely outnumbered. And they were only, the Jews were only seeking to kill those that sought their hurt. They weren't out just trying to murder everybody. They were 
basically wanted to be left alone, which is which is similar to the situation we have now. We just basically want to be left alone, and yet they keep coming after us. And then when something happens, they play the victim as if they did not instigate the situation. Again, we see this with uh, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. And George Zimmerman was not uh, white. He's Mexican, as far as I know, maybe mixed. But he went after Trayvon Martin. He stalked him. He followed him around in his truck. He got out and went after him. And then when 17-year-old Trayvon Martin realized a grown man is coming after him, he defends himself and gets murdered for it because suddenly George Zimmerman is in fear of his life even though he instigated the attack. And so we see this again in the book of Esther. We have the similar situation with the purge, except for the Jews came out victorious, and unfortunately Trayvon Martin was murdered um, by that guy. And then uh, we see him recently signing Skittles and Confederate flags. And I mean, we just we, we live in that age of evil. The fact that people even want his autograph and the fact that he's willing to give his autograph and sign pictures of – he signed a painting of uh, – somebody made a painting of Trayvon Martin dead, and he signed it with a smile on his face. This guy is terrible. He's threatened Jay-Z. He's um, pulled a gun on his father-in-law. His uh, ex-wife said he was abusive. His ex-girlfriend said he was abusive. And yet this guy is still walking around on the street. He even attacked a cop. He attacked an off-duty officer, and he got off for it because his father is a judge. Um, But we see this age of evil progressing. So now not only did the people start to convert to Judaism, we see that the king's military, uh, his, his generals and stuff, they started to help the Hebrews as well. So this thing has completely backfired. Haman's original, original plan to have the Jews extinguished ended up um, returning or turning around. Mordecai is now prince. And in inclusion with that uh, princeship that Mordecai received from Haman, after Haman was killed, now hanged on the gallows, the king, Ahasuerus, actually puts Haman in charge of Mordecai's house. So now Mordecai's enemy is in charge of his house. What do you think is going to happen? So when Esther, Esther, she went, and, and part of her third request is she wanted all ten of Mordecai's sons hanged. This was not Mordecai, I'm sorry, all ten of Haman's sons hanged, not Mordecai. She wanted all ten of Haman's sons hanged on the gallows that he built. Now, see, Esther, you have to look at the mentality of Esther. Esther understood that by killing Haman, Haman's sons are going to want revenge because this is how it all started in the first place. I mentioned that that Saul did not want to kill Agag. He didn't want to kill all the Agag's people. I'm sure he let other people go because he was going to keep Agag alive even though he was instructed not to. So Agag's descendants, um, which is Haman, the Agagite, they already hated the Jews because they were Edomites. They hated the Jews. So leaving them alive resulted in this entire event in the book of Esther. So Esther had the foresight to say, you know what? His sons are going to want us dead. Kill them all now. This was not Mordecai's command. This was Queen Esther's idea to kill them all. So they, they hang the ten sons on the gallows. So now their Haman problem is done. And... So the next day, I mentioned that they had killed uh, 500 people in Shushan Palace on the 13th of Adar. And then on the 14th of Adar, um, they killed another 300 in Shushan. Um, So the 75,000 people total died. 75,000 people from India to Ethiopia were killed on these two purge days. And on the 15th of Adar, 
they had a celebration. And this celebration continues to this day. It's called uh, the celebration of Purim, uh, from the word pur, which means a lot, uh, like casting lots or, um, yeah, basically casting lots. So if you know what casting lots is, good. If you don't, Google it. But basically they felt like the lot had fallen to them, a bad lot had fallen to them, and then it turned around and became a good lot, or we would call it luck, bad luck and then good luck. So the Feast of Purim, uh, which occurs about a month before Passover, is what that celebrates, the Hebrew survival of the two purge days. And it's usually celebrated in March. So around March, if you start looking for um, the Feast of the Festival of Purim or the um, Celebration of Purim, any of those words, uh, you'll start to see that there, there's a huge celebration. And when you look at the people, the Ashkenazi over there celebrating um, Purim, you look at them and you just wonder how they could physically conquer anyone. Like they, they, were, they are frail. I'll put it that way. They're frail compared to Negroes. I can look at Negroes and say I can, I can see how people would have a problem. I have never looked at a group of Ashkenazi Jews and thought that if any of them wanted to fight me, that I would be physically intimidated. So you have to kind of look at things like that. Uh, let's see. Now, let's, let's get into the concept of politics. And I mentioned yesterday that Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they have a no-politics policy. They don't get involved in voting or any of that stuff. Now, Esther, she was forced to become a lobbyist. I've mentioned that. Haman, Haman acted as a lobbyist, and then Esther was forced to become a lobbyist because of the condition. But neither one of them voted. They appealed directly to the lawmaker themselves. And in America, we have this concept of um, a democratic republic. We use democracy to vote in our leaders. And yet, when we look at democracy, let, let me let – me, let me hold off on democracy real quick because I want to I point out something. Esther had to risk her life to make a change on behalf of her people. Now, that's important. Esther had to risk her life three times to make this change. Esther's people, the Hebrews, and then the people who converted, when people came to kill them, they had to fight and risk their lives in order to survive. When we get into the slavery, uh, modern American slavery, Harriet Tubman had to risk her life. Nat Turner and the people that followed him had to risk their life. Every slave that ran away from a plantation had to risk their life. When we get to the Civil Rights Age, MLK, Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, they all died in order to get what they believed was progress and equal rights. These people died. People went on the run, uh, had to go to Cuba. I mean, people disappeared. Uh, we don't, we don't, some people, you know, they disappeared because they were murdered and they disappeared because they ran away. But these people had to risk their lives on a daily basis. They were, uh, they were attacked by dogs and sprayed with water hoses and beaten and raped and all kind of crazy stuff. So we have all of history. We have examples in the Bible showing that in order to make progress, we have to fight and or die. And yet in America, we are under this illusion that we can go to a voting booth and push a button and get equal rights. And this is called the illusion of progress. We have the illusion that we have um, gone forward. So the reason this illusion is put in place is because if you look at history, when people become too oppressed, 
they eventually fight back. And the thing is, the enemy knows that if we fight back, we will cause a lot of damage and tear up a lot of stuff. Because the Civil War, that almost destroyed the concept of America. It almost it, it had the potential to destroy everything. And I'll talk about that more as we go through the This is Satan's America series. I don't want to get ahead of, ahead of myself there. But the, the Civil War had the potential to destroy everything that Satan had planned here in America. Because as I talked about, America was called the New World, and the reason it was called the New World is because they needed a new place to put us. But I'm going to get more into that later. I want to wait on that. So we have the illusion of progress here in America. Um, and that's so we will not fight back. But let me show you what happens. We gained the right to vote in 1964 uh, when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And since then, we've had gerrymandering, for instance. Gerrymandering is the redrawing of the districts so that they can dilute the black vote so black people don't get as much say in the government as we believe we have. We have disenfranchisement, basically trying to keep black people from registering to vote or actually voting. Um, this includes giving people the wrong voting dates, giving black people the wrong voting districts, uh, the voter ID laws, because they, they know statistically black people are less likely to have ID. And that's not really a racist thing. And it's not because they can't afford it. I know so many people, grown people that do not have ID. I, I don't understand it. They just don't feel like going to get it. So, they know statistically that these people don't have IDs or our people don't have IDs as as much as other people may have IDs. And then there's outright voter suppression stuff. Um, there's all kind of stuff where they try to prevent you from getting to the polls physically, threats, all kind of different stuff. So we have the illusion of a say in government when the whole time behind the scenes they're working to dilute as much of the black vote as possible. Uh, and then you have the Electoral College. We saw that at play in 2000 with Bush when, the, um, when Gore won the popular vote, and yet and still Bush ended up president. There's a, they, they have this in place so every few years they can, they can mix it up a bit because, truth be told, if they did not have um, the Electoral there would not have been a Republican president since 1996. You think about that, 2018. Uh, Bush got in in 2000 uh, because of the Electoral College. He stayed in in 2004 because the Iraq war was going, and it's rare that a wartime president does not win the reelection. But he never would have been there in the first place to win reelection had it not been for the Electoral College. And then we move to 2016, and we see it again when Hillary runs. Um, Hillary gets the popular, popular vote, and then... Trump gets the electoral vote. So the electoral college is, is part of that voter suppression because the people have spoken. And the majority of uh, black people wanted a Democrat leader and, a, well, a majority of the nation. But the majority of black people vote Democrat anyway, which I'm going to get into on another episode. We're going to talk to different parties, Democrats and Republicans, and we're going to compare the two and see that they are not that much different when you really break down their core values. So anyway, the people wanted a, or a Democrat president, and yet the people got a Republican president. So you ask yourself why. That goes back to <laughs> them subverting the black vote. Go back and look at why the Electoral College was created. So 
we'll, we'll move on from the Electoral College. Now, they realize that we won't fight back if they give us the illusion of equality. See, this is this. They wanted to avoid all of these these wars and fighting that we had been doing. So if they give us the illusion of equality, then hey, these people won't fight us. They'll work with us and be part of our system. So we we believe that we get equal say in government leaders. This is what I was just addressing, the whole gerrymandering and all the other stuff they do to tamper with the vote. So we really don't get equal say in our leaders. And let me point out something, too, about voting while I'm on it. The Electoral College, I'm going back to the Electoral College real quick. Each state gets a certain amount of electoral votes. Most of you know how the Electoral College works. For those of you who do not know how the Electoral College works, if your state, I'll, give you, I'll use Nevada, for example. I did not vote because I do not support Trump, and I certainly did not support Hillary. Now, in the state of Nevada, it does not matter who votes Democrat or Republican. It only matters who gets the most votes. So in the state of Nevada, Hillary got the most votes. And Nevada has six electoral votes, I believe. Uh, you can check it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Nevada gets six electoral votes. We'll go with that. Now, if Nevada's uh, majority votes for Hillary, which they did, all six of those electoral votes go to Hillary. Zero votes go to Trump. So all those Republicans that got out and wasted their time on on election day, none of their votes went to Trump. Everybody that stayed home on election day who did not vote for Hillary or Trump, all of your non-votes went to Hillary anyway. Because Democrats, the reason I'm bringing this up, Democrats and Republicans try to use this nonsense argument that if you don't vote, then somehow you're the reason the other people won. That's not true. That's not true. That's just something they want to say to guilt people into to voting. For example, I did not vote in the state of Nevada. So had I voted for Hillary, it wouldn't have mattered because Hillary got the six electoral votes anyway. If I got up that day and voted for Trump, it didn't matter because Hillary got the electoral votes. The fact that I didn't vote, Hillary still got the electoral votes. If I had voted for Gary Johnson, Hillary still would have got the six electoral votes. So when these people tell you that it, it's your fault that Trump is elected, no, that's a lie. Because Nevada, Hillary won Nevada by more than one vote. I wasn't going to vote for Hillary anyway, so it didn't even matter if I got him vote. I could have got him voted for anybody. Hillary was still going to get those votes, and that's my point here. So when people try to guilt you into saying that you need to get up and vote, and if you don't vote, you're the reason Trump won, and yet Republicans will try to guilt you and say, well, if you don't vote, you're the reason Hillary won. So if, if, if both of those statements can't be true. One of those statements has to be a lie. And both of these people are feeding into it. They're both trying to feed us the same lie. So let's, let's continue on on why the, the equality and the vote um, are a sham. The three-fifths compromise. The three-fifths compromise is basically saying that the release of black slaves, um, the released black slaves were only counted as three-fifths human. Now, in 1866, that was supposed to have been ratified. However... However, they never ratified the slave laws, and then the uh, ratification process fell apart anyway. They never ratifi- ratified the slave law. So wait, let me, let me not get ahead of myself. The three-fifths compromise said that we're three-fifths of a human. That was in, um, that was in response to how we would be counted uh, for the vote. So they said they count us as three-fifths of a human, 
And because slavery was supposedly abolished by the 13th Amendment, it's automatically assumed that this three-fifths compromise is no longer in effect. But let me show you here. It is still in effect, and the reason it is still in effect is because in 1712, they had the slave codes. And I mentioned the slave codes before. In 1712, it says that anyone previously enslaved and their children are declared perpetual slaves. So if we're declared perpetual slaves and they never ratified that law and overturned it, and then they define us as three-fifths of a human and they never overturned that law, that means that we're, we're still defined as three-fifths human at, on paper, not even full humans, but three-fifths human by law. So how is it that we can be three-fifths of a human and still have equal say? Now, to further dilute our vote, they started, they actually made an exception and said, okay, well, the three-fifths human thing will only apply if you are, are in prison for a felony. Well, we know that the justice system is eight times more likely to convict a black person who does the same crime as a white person. We know that the black person is generally going to get more time. And even if the white person is convicted, they are more likely to get a better plea deal, which reduces their felony down to a misdemeanor or something that can easily come off their record. So everybody that is in prison on a felony is now back under that three-fifths compromise law. Now, they don't make this known, but then you look at the Democrat Party who passed something like the crime bill, and they say, oops, we didn't know that was going to happen. If you dig into the history of the crime bill, now Democrats will try to feed you the lie that, well, they didn't know this was going to happen, and they intended it to get rid of the gangbangers and blah, blah, blah. If you look at how they pitched the crime bill, they were using white faces. Go back and look at the old crime bill commercials. They were, they were pitching the murder of a police officer and a family, and they were showing the murder of white people, murder of white people, murder of white people. And then they were saying gangs, 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 gangs. And then they were showing black people, black people, black people. The Democrats were pitching that black gangs were murdering white officers and white families. And so they pitched this crime bill, which they got from the Republicans. Go back and do the history on it. Black people voted for Bill Clinton to be a Democrat president, and yet he comes through with a Republican-based crime bill. And then the effects were tens of thousands of black men ended up locked up in prison for life over crimes that normally would not have got them life in prison. And then their response was, oops, our bad. And that was 22 years later in 2016 when Hillary wanted to run for president. That's when they apologized. So don't let people feed you that the crime bill was originally meant to stop gangs and it just backfired. No, there was a whole campaign behind it, and and Hillary supported it. Hillary was the first lady at the time, and I'm going to close with this. I saw a recent – and I don't know if it was a recent interview, but I recently saw this interview. And D.L. Hughley, who I I love his comedy and I love his political views, um, I don't like the fact that he is – that he toes the Democrat Party line. Uh, He said he doesn't see the correlation between Hillary and Bill Clinton, so we shouldn't have blamed Hillary for the crime bill. And yet, during her campaign, Hillary personally apologized for the crime bill because Hillary was out there promoting the crime bill. Hillary was on tour for her husband to get this crime bill passed, and she's talking to everybody. She was playing full-on politician, even though she technically wasn't in office. So Hillary was behind this. Trump put his money behind this. The Republicans helped write this up. And yet our people are still naive to believe that the Democrats are pro-black and they want to help us. Our people are still naive enough to go to those voting booths on voting day and vote Democrat.
even though the democratic history shows that they are still embedded uh, with the same racist elements they were when they were the, the Southern Democrats, the Dixiecrats. Go look up the Southern Democrats. Go look up the Dixiecrats. See who it was fighting to keep us in slavery. See who it was fighting to keep segregation. Don't think that just because um, the Civil Rights Act passed and that Republicans are openly racist that somehow Democrats are not racist. Not all of the the racist element left the Democrat Party in the 70s when the um, Republican Party used Southern strategy. Now, I'm, I'm kind of way off the topic right now, um, so I'm, I'm way off my notes. But I just wanted to let you guys know that I am going to be touching on um, politics, Democrat Party and the Republican Party, over the next couple of shows before I jump back into This is America, This is Satan's America series. Uh, so closing this out, uh, make sure you go to blackhistoryinthebible.com and get your free book, Pre-Slavery Christianity. It was never the white man's religion. That is 100% free. Put your email address in the box, and I'll send you a link uh, for the PDF. It is in the confirmation email, so open the confirmation email, click the confirmation link, and download your book. And for those of you waiting for the Black Hebrew Awakening, if you want to get it on Kindle, make sure you pre-order it. Um, It is available for pre-order now. And then finally, if you like the podcast and you like an episode, make sure you share the episode so we can get the word out to more people. I have lots more great stuff coming. Um, So until next time, I'm out.